Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. As you were born before the end of the Civil War centennial, you're certainly old enough to have watched the 1980s TV series Dallas about the dramatic fortunes of the unscrupulous J.R. Ewing and the powerful extended Ewing clan. Tonight's guest, Professor Kenneth Heinemann, has written a scholarly but lively monograph on the Ewing dynasty and, wait, I'm being handed a late bulletin, I've got the wrong Ewings. The book Civil War Dynasty, the Ewing Family of Ohio, is actually about Senator Thomas Ewing, his three sons who became Union generals, his son-in-law William Tecumseh Sherman, and their roles in the political and military history of the Civil War era. That's what we'll talk about with Professor Heinemann tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu. Dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you tonight from the Civil War Talk Radio World Headquarters Annex on Oxford Road in Greenville, North Carolina not on the campus of East Carolina University, and thus not legally obliged to deny that the show is presented to you by ECU, but I'll deny it anyway. Uh, It's my own show. It is uh, conducted often from the campus of ECU here in Greenville, North Carolina, but not speaking for the university, even on my own time, just as our guest will speak only for himself. That's how we do it here. I'm not trying to disassociate myself from ECU because the Pirates uh, suffered another grotesque football beatdown this week, uh, giving up 60 points and uh, 7,000 yards of uh, enemy uh, gain, ground gained one way or another. It was. It's just been a, a rough couple seasons for the, the uh, football Pirates and doesn't look like it's going to get any better, so we won't talk any more about that tonight. Uh, better news from ECU is the continued growth of the institution and the success so far of this year's Civil War class, Teaching History 3225, to a group of uh, reasonably motivated people. Just had our first midterm exam the past week, and it was gratifying to finish the grading and see a just beautifully formed bell curve emerge. And with uh, the, the pump in the middle right around the B range, no, uh, everybody passed. Everybody had some idea what they were talking about in terms of the Kansas-Nebraska Act and the Brooks-Sumner incident and so on as we explored the pre-Civil War era. It was uh, uh, a few of them were really sharp, and uh, most were pretty good. So, so far, so good. Tomorrow we go to New Bern for our annual field trip. The course uh, has the students uh, visit the battlefield there. This is something I added a few years ago with the 
restoration of the Battlefield Park by the New Bern Historical Society. If you're ever in eastern North Carolina, set aside a little time. It's a little pocket battlefield. It doesn't take too long to walk the whole trail. It's not uh, gaudy. There are no monuments. Well, there is a monument to the 26th North Carolina. It's not monument-laden. Uh, there's no visitor center except for a little uh, sort of picnic shelter with restroom. But it is worth your time to visit, and they continually upgrade it. Year after year, they put in better trails, better markers, uh, different, uh, more more interpretive signs. It's really an impressive example of local uh, battlefield preservation, and it's located right inside a housing development, uh, but fortunately preserved from the actual construction of houses. So definitely worth seeing if you're in the area. I'm looking forward to taking the students there tomorrow. There's lots more uh, uh, coming up on this show in the weeks ahead. Next week, we will have Kate Lineberry join to talk uh, about the amazing story of Robert Smalls. If you don't know who Robert Smalls was, that's a good reason to listen next week, find out about this uh, remarkable uh, hero in American history. On the 18th, we talk about the Civil War covered in a single book, aimed at students. Uh, Joan Law of UCLA is co-author with Gary Gallagher, that's a name I'm sure you all know, of a textbook called The American War. It's much shorter than uh, Battle Cry of Freedom or other, or, or, or anything like Bruce Catton or Shelby Foote would have written, but it covers the whole war. Does it work for students? I'm finding out this semester, and I'll talk to Professor Law about that. On the 25th of October, this is the year 2017, we're in now, we've got D.H. Delbeck, his new book, A More Civil War, How the Union Waged a Just War. And in the weeks after that, uh, Carlton Young with local history about the Williamstown Boys, Gary Cross, battlefield guide at uh, Gettysburg. On November 15th, Gordon Ray with the final work of his multi-volume treatment of the Overland Campaign. This one's called On to Petersburg covers June 4th through the 15th, 1864. And if you've read any of his previous ones, you definitely want to uh, read this one and hear that. And before the year is over, we'll have Andy Wosky of Philadelphia join us to talk about the war in that quarter. And Sam Elliott, uh, not the actor, the author, writing about John Brown, not the radical, but the uh, Tennessee rebel redeemer and railroader. So lots going on. You can find out all about it from impedimentsofwar.org. Mark Gaffney keeps that website running. You can buy books that you hear about from the website. Go click through, and that helps support the program. And you can donate money to Civil War Talk Radio's book fund and beverage fund. I'm looking now at a tall and refreshing glass of lime, low-calorie lime cranberry juice, and that, whatever it was, $2.89, could have been paid for by your Civil War Talk Radio donation. Because it's not a charitable donation, I could also have spent it on prescription drugs. Look at the other side of my desk, see what else is here. Stationery, or in fact, tonight's book, any of the above. Um, Don't deduct your donation on your taxes, but do consider supporting Civil War Talk Radio. It is encouraging. Uh, it, it, I will say uh, our number of listeners grows. This is the year of 1,000 likes. We have 1,000 people liking our Facebook page. Thank you all for doing that. Uh, the number who actually uh, support through a, a financial donation is relatively small, but it is reassuring to know that, that uh, people are enjoying and appreciating the show. Uh, sending email is another way to do that. I'm always glad to hear from you. I owe some of you emails from a week or two ago and, and apologize for not answering sooner, whether they are coming from here in the United States or overseas or anywhere else. I haven't always answered them promptly because just get hung up, but uh, doing our best to, to keep up with those. And they, they build morale here at Civil War Talk Radio World Headquarters. So consider... A donation, uh, a token is just a, a way of letting me know it's appreciated. Uh, or send an email. They, they repeat the address every week. 
so that you can spell my name in your sleep. Uh, that's how I've learned it. Uh, can consider doing that, and it would be much appreciated. Tonight we talk about the Ewings of Ohio, not, of course, uh, TV ones, but a, a family rivaled only, perhaps, by the McCooks of the same state for producing uh, so many Union general officers and, and politicians and uh, uh, strong women who supported the, the men who fought the war in their own way, given the gender structure of 19th century society. It is a, uh, a truly interesting and uh, remarkable story described in the book Civil War Dynasty, uh, subtitled The Ewing Family of Ohio. Kenneth J. Heineman is the author and our guest tonight. Uh, Professor Heineman, are you there? Yes, I am. Been enjoying the monologue. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome to the show. Some some listeners have complained about the monologue in the past, and others have said they sort of like it, and I propose doing it for 30 or 45 minutes and keeping the guest waiting the whole time, but we're not going to do that tonight. Um, so tell me a little bit about your background. I don't know that you... You and I have have met on the Civil War Trail at any conferences. Uh, no, I, I'm a, I'm kind of a, a pilgrim, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I I backed into this. I um, my other mm-hmm. work has been all 20th century political, mm-hmm. and um, I, I backed into this book in part because I spent 18 years of my career at Ohio University Lancaster. And, you know, Sherman was a member of the Sherman Civil War Roundtable, and it was all Sherman, Sherman, Sherman. And, you know, it was just occasional mentions of his father-in-law, Thomas Ewing, his his wife, uh, um, you know, uh, Ellen Ewing Sherman. And something really bothered me when I, when I would, like, read this just brief mention of the Ewings. Mm-hmm. Sherman's wedding in Washington, D.C. in 1850 was attended by President Zachary Taylor, all the members of the cabinet, which included her father, Thomas Ewing, um, it included all the members of the U.S. Supreme Court. There were 300 movers and shakers. Hmm. And it's like there's no way a junior officer gets that kind of turnout, you know, let, let alone the president of Georgetown College presiding at the ceremony. <laughs> you know, this, it wasn't adding up. That I always suspected there was something more here. And there was. I mean, so that was part of it. And then um, the other part was uh, I used to do a lot of um, political kind of analysis for the media of like, with the 2004 election and the 2008. And it was like, well, which way is Ohio going to go, Republican or Democrat? And then I noticed there's a way to predict this. And it was look for the turnout in about 15 southern Ohio counties. And, of course, you look this up, and it's like, oh, this is the Virginia Military District. This is the area settled by Revolutionary War veterans from Virginia who the state could not pay them for their service, so they gave them land grants in southern Ohio. And that region was Copperhead, pro-slavery, anti-Union, anti-Lincoln, and in the 20th century, they became anti-New Deal Republican. And very conservative. And it's like, okay, George W. Bush is going to win Ohio in the election in 2004 because the enthusiasms are in the Virginia military district. It's, they're coming out in Chillicothe, Washington Courthouse. You know, they're coming out. Whereas in 2008, uh, they, they, they sat out the election. So it's like, that's how the other way. It's like, I wanted to know what happened. What is it with the Virginia military district? What are the roots of American politics? How do we understand? It's like, go back to the 19th century. Wow. So the, the, uh, in your book, in the first chapter, gives a very detailed picture of how, uh, of the complexities of politics in that era. It's not a straight line of, uh, Democrats then are Democrats now, Whigs then are Republicans now. The the yeah. interest cross in so many ways. Uh, uh, yeah. It's really a fascinating story. So, and this is the home of the Ewings. This is uh, Thomas yeah. Ewing Senior is is uh, a major figure in pre-war politics. Uh, a, a dominant figure, um, you know, um, a, a Scots Irish Presbyterian, 
ancestors fought at the Battle of the Boyne in 1690, and I do take some pride that I think I'm correct on this. This is the only book on the American Civil War that opens with the Battle of the Boyne. So, you know, so <laughs> that, you know, and, and he's a self-made man, the salt boiler, you know, who boiled salt tons and tons, you know, gallons, hundreds and hundreds of gallons of salt and educated himself and, and, and discovered... Can I just, uh, did, did, yeah. Let me interrupt and ask you about salt boiling again. That that was his nickname. It's like Lincoln was the rail splitter. Tom Ewing was the yeah. salt boiler. What is salt boiling? Well, in the Kanawha Valley, what's now uh, Charleston, West Virginia, you dig these deep wells and you pull up this brine, this briny water, and then you prepare um, vats, kettles, and you boil it down. And it takes several hundred gallons, maybe a couple of, you know, I, I can't remember the figures off the top of my head, but it takes a couple mm-hmm. of thousand gallons of water to be boiled in order to produce one bushel of salt. But, but this was commercially viable. Yeah. Uh, you don't get paid a whole lot of money for this. Uh, and so, you've got desperate people, mainly Scots-Irish, who are doing it. Okay. So this was how, how he initially starts his career that will end up making a fortune and, and becoming yeah. a, a prominent yeah. person. Um, yeah. He, um, the money he earned is what paid his tuition at Ohio University. So he he becomes uh, you know a major figure quickly. It's interesting to contrast him, and you sometimes do with Abraham Lincoln as a man of the people. Uh, but unlike Lincoln, he has a lot of political success. Uh, he's in the Senate as early as the eighteen thirties. Yeah, yeah. Ewing, uh, his he's remarkable in that as a lawyer, he could practice criminal law, which he did as a prosecutor and defense attorney. He could do contract law, but he also could do constitutional law. And, you know, I, I dubbed the little association he had, the, the Supreme Court Club. Mm-hmm. And it's a very select group of people who were admitted to practice law before the U.S. Supreme Court. Daniel Webster was one. You know, Ewing, um, Orville Browning, who was Lincoln's confidant. It, it's a select group. And nobody off the street is able to, like, do that. And, you know, I use the example of of Thomas Ewing's brilliance. He had a legal case involving disputed land claims in St. Louis. And he realized, well, the titles are originally written in Spanish. So he locked himself in his study for six weeks, became fluent in Spanish, and then ended up winning the case and receiving as his legal fee half of downtown St. Louis. Wow. So that's... That's an investment that would pay off. Yeah, so oh, it did. So he becomes, as you say, one of the, the major movers and shakers. He, in the Senate, he rubs shoulders with Henry Clay and Daniel Webster. Uh, uh, people know about him. He uh, becomes a, a cabinet member, uh, secretary of the treasury. What I want to do, we're going to take a short break, but when I come back, I want to ask you about uh one of the unique factors about him was his religious connection and, and yeah. talk about how religion factored into uh, politics because that will, of course, impact the Civil War. So what we'll do is right now we'll take a short break. We'll come back, talk more. Our guest tonight, Kenneth Heineman, author of Civil War Dynasty, The Ewing Family of Ohio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. 
The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Kenneth J. Heinemann, author of Civil War Dynasty, The Ewing Family of Ohio. Uh, We've been talking about the patriarch of the family, Thomas Ewing Sr., uh, senator, confidant of presidents like Zachary Taylor and other uh, senators like uh, Daniel Webster, Henry Clay, major figure before the war, coming from uh, south, southern Ohio. But uh, Ken, do you go by Ken, Kenneth? Is yeah, Ken okay? Ken, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ken, you make the point in your book that uh, religion is an important factor in American politics in, in this era that we're looking at here, the 1830s, 40s, into the 50s, and uh, Ewing was somewhat outside the mold of, the, of most American politicians in that. Oh, very much so. I mean, he is Scots-Irish Presbyterian, his ancestors from Ulster, and he ended up marrying Maria Boyle, who, um, Irish Catholic. Uh, this is a blended... Ulster, um, Scots-Irish, Presbyterian, and Irish Catholic family that had literally fought each other in the Siege of Londonderry, uh, the Battle of the Boyne, and they intermarried in America. And Thomas Ewing never officially really converted to Catholicism, but the children are raised Catholic. And And where it becomes... (laughs) No, go ahead. I was just say where it be- becomes an issue politically is Ewing, Thomas Ewing never could embrace the Republican Party because the radical wing of the re- abolitionist wing of the Republican Party was also very nativist and anti-Catholic, and he constantly it, feuded with them. And, and that really is one of the, the things that comes through that distinguishes politics in that era, the, the anti-Catholicism of the the era of the burning of convents, mob attacks on, on Catholic institutions, the rise of the Know Nothing Party in the 1850s, the American Party. It, uh, Catholics are, are not nearly as controversial as a, a minority group today as they were in that era. So for him to do this, uh, to cross these lines, was was, was a big deal. Uh, when... There, there's so much that happens in the war. I, I don't want to gloss over the the pre-war period. We could talk the whole time about the oh yeah the, the complexities of, of internal improvements and anti-Catholic sentiment and who's in which party. Um, but uh, Thomas and Maria have uh, six children. Uh, tell us, just give us the rundown, and we'll 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 spend the rest of our time talking about their many uh, accomplishments. But but let's lay lay out the Sure. Uh, the program. Yeah. Well, the, the key players, of course, is Ellen Ewing, who will marry uh, William T. Sherman, who was an adopted brother um, after, her, after Sherman's father, Judge Charles Sherman, passed away. Ewing took responsibility for helping uh, Charles Sherman's widow support the house, pay for the pro- um, property taxes, provide the education. And he ends up falling in love and marrying Ellen Ewing, who probably would have entered a convent and become a nun herself. Very devout mm-hmm. Catholic. Sherman's not particularly religious, uh, to say the least. Uh, there's Hugh Ewing, Hugh Boyle Ewing, the kind of historian who flunked out of West Point his senior year, which was an achievement. 
who ended up prospecting the California gold fields and ended up rising to the rank of general and fighting at the battles of South Mountain, Antietam, Vicksburg, and Missionary Ridge. There's another brother, Charlie Ewing, good time Charlie, the youngest, the fair-haired wonder who uh, will end up at um, Vicksburg and then the campaign to Atlanta and the march to the sea with his brother-in-law, William T. Sherman. There's Tom Ewing Jr., who's going to have the dirty war, fighting the guerrilla insurgency in the borderlands of Kansas and Missouri. Uh, for listeners out there, if they're familiar with General Order Number 11, after Quantrell burnt Lawrence in 1863 and killed 175 men and boys, children, it is General Tom Ewing who evacuated, burned out, shut off, removed 10,000 Missourians along the Kansas border to crush the insurgency, and then will end up defending at the Lincoln Conspiracy Trials a family friend. Uh, the Muds were also Catholic and very close to the Ewings, and uh, Tom Ewing defends uh, Dr. Mudd, manages to avoid a death penalty for him, and ends up becoming a um, policy advisor on uh, reconstruction for President Andrew Johnson who, by the way, the Ewing family helped uh, uh, get him into the White House, helped him get on the vice presidential nomination in 1864. So uh, they're, which, they're, 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 yeah, they're all connected. They're all doing so many yep. things. Uh, uh, just, just uh, can't resist asking them, the, the oldest boy, Phil, uh, he won't show up in the rest of our talk tonight. Uh, what, are, what became of him? Um, as I recall, he's uh, becomes Chief Justice of the Ohio Supreme Court, so he's the least successful <laughs> of the Ewing kids. You know? that, that, that's all he got. That's, so, yeah, that's all. Uh, by the time that these were all young men uh, and women growing up, uh, they're dealing with, with strife between the, the regions. Uh, by 1861, when Lincoln is elected, they, they certainly are not enthusiastic about Lincoln, who they suspect of being abolitionists, they are, they are not. Uh, but Tom Senior participates in the, the the peace conference, the the, yep. the attempt of uh, Crittenden and others to to come up with something in the, uh, the the dangerous months before Fort Sumter. Of course, that does not succeed. Um, talk a little bit about Tom Senior's relationship with President Lincoln. Well, I, I have the story where um, you know after. Um Let's see, that would have been, um, oh, yes, right after the 1846 election. Um, so Thomas Ewing Sr. becomes uh, Zach Taylor's Secretary of the Interior, basically the Home Department, as they used to call it. And, of course, the Whigs are all lining up for patronage for government jobs, and he's got this one obnoxious ex-congressman who keeps demanding a job. He wants a government job. And Ewing says, well, no, you're not qualified. I mean, I, I'm, more, I'm happy to hand out patronage, but you actually have to be able to do the job that you're applying for. So then this former congressman gets all huffy. It's like, well, I want to see the reference letters for everyone else who applied for the job. And Ewing goes, no, I can't do that. That's unethical. No one shares these. And then the guy just keeps complaining and complaining. And finally, Ewing says, would you like to be the territorial governor of Oregon? No, no, the wife wants to stay in Washington. And, you know, as I conclude, that's not going to be the last time Ewing has to deal with Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, 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 the, I mean, the job was the commissioner of the general land office, if I recall correctly, which was certainly a patronage plum and would have paid paid Lincoln very well. He was certainly interested in getting it. Um, <laughs> And he, uh, but I mean, the complexities of the time, he, he was also upset that he felt he had supported uh, Taylor loyally, even though he didn't care much for, for Taylor, and that, that all these other people were getting the patronage plums who hadn't done as much in the campaign. And I find that ironic because that would become a style Lincoln would adopt as, as president. Uh, he learned you, you don't need to reward your friends because they're your friends. Right. Uh, you need to reward your enemies, and yep. uh, in order to turn them into friends, and Lincoln yeah, himself would do that. Oh yeah, you raise an excellent point because uh, Ewing Senior was outraged um, when Lincoln elevated uh, Simon Chase to the U.S. Supreme Court 
Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're right. That was a perfect buy-off of a manipulative, um, cunning uh, political operative. Yeah, it, it got him uh, into a, a safe place where he could, you know, assist and, and have some, some connection to Lincoln without, uh, uh, whereas appointing a, a friend, to, you know, he's still a friend, you haven't gained anything. So, exactly. yeah, that was, a, that was an important, uh, Ewing's denial of Lincoln's request was an important political lesson for Abraham Lincoln. Uh, he had been a loyal campaigner and saw these less active people getting all the plums, and, and he, he got a message out of that. The... Uh, the Trent affair you mentioned is one case where, where Ewing does actually help Lincoln. Yes, um, yes. After the um, um, capture of the two Confederate commissioners on the high seas, and, you know, of course, uh, William Seward's like going, wow, this is a perfect chance to unite the country in a war against Britain. And mm-hmm. uh, Ewing's saying, no, no. I mean, as Ewing privately called Seward, uh, vain. Vain demagogue, low vain demagogue, and uh, Lincoln's really not soliciting the legal advice, but Ewing's more than happy to share it, and it is the advice Lincoln adopts, but he's not going to ever credit Ewing with it. And and that, of course, is to avoid the war, which they don't have. Uh, The military careers of the the three boys are are varied. I thought you give a very interesting picture of warfare right on the doorstep of, of Lancaster, Ohio, the border with Ohio and Virginia in the first months and first year of the war is hotly contested right there to cross the Ohio River in the Virginia mountains. Uh, how did the boys figure in that? Well, Hugh Ewing enlisted and then is ultimately deployed with the 30th Ohio Volunteer Infantry. And he's under the command of one of his friends from West Point, one of his instructors, uh, uh, William Rosecrans. And so, yes, um, the uh, Governor Dennison of Ohio argued, you know, we're going to fight the battle for the Ohio Valley in the mountains of western Virginia, where it counts, not on the Ohio River. You know, he knew, the Governor of Ohio knew, Ohio was vulnerable to invasion. The Ohio River is not an obstruction to cross. Mm-hmm. It's easy to invade. You've got to get the mountain passes in Western Virginia. And the uh, governor, Andrew Curtin of Pennsylvania, concurs. So basically, the governors of Ohio and Pennsylvania and I think Morton and Indiana are essentially conspiring to invade Western Virginia and waiting for Lincoln to authorize it and then kind of hinting they're really not going to wait. So you have that going on. It, it, the uh, um Rosecrans, you mentioned, uh, yes. you knows Hugh Ewing at, at West Point, and Rosecrans is, is Catholic, and that's not a small part of the connection between them. Oh, and it's there. There really is a little Catholic mafia um, because um, when when Hugh Ewing flunked out of West Point, the village priest in Somerset, Ohio, who's a friend of the Ewings, and the Ewings supported the Catholic parish in Somerset said, we have a nice Irish Catholic boy here named Phil Sheridan. Can you get him an appointment to West Point? So, yeah, it's a very small world. That's one of the things I, I tell my students uh, that keeps coming back. The population of the United States is roughly 10% of what it is today. Exactly. Figure. And so it's an order of magnitude smaller, and the result is everybody knows everybody. All these names... Uh, that we read about uh, the, the generals, but, uh, listeners all know the stories of West Point roommates who who fight one another. But it's it's well beyond that. People have all these these connections that uh, uh, that come back again and again. Um, oh, oh yeah. Well, at West Point, when, when Hugh was there, there, there were a gang of bullies who were beating up on younger cadets, and one of the nastiest was um, this fellow named Burnside. You know, Ambrose. <laughs> And Hugh finally had enough of it. And even though Burnside was so much larger than him, he just decided to have it out because he was going to make a point. And then, of course, at the Battle of South Mountain and Antietam, the, uh, the Kanawha Division, which included the 30th Ohio, ends up as part of the 9th Corps Army of the Potomac under Burnside. And it's like, you know, you can't, sometimes it's such a small world, you can't escape people you'd rather not be dealing with. 
Yeah, they, they do keep coming into contact. Um, another person in the circle, uh, and, and again, Reed was one of the things that's fascinating about this book is it's not just the Ewings, but their, their circle broadens to include people like Sherman and then Sheridan and uh, Ewing, Tom Ewing Sr. and Abraham Lincoln and many others. Uh, one of them is Rutherford B. Hayes and, and yeah. the 23rd Ohio. Uh, how are they connected to him? Well, um, before the war, um, Rutherford B. Hayes had approached Thomas Ewing to help him argue a case before the U.S. Supreme Court, and that's where they became friends and allies, and Ewing Sr. became Hayes' legal mentor. And then when the war broke out, Hayes, as you notice, you know, is commander of the 23rd Ohio, which is part of the Kanawha Division. So he and Hugh Ewing are there in the Western Virginia campaign and then at South Mountain on the road to Antietam. And you mentioned several times uh, encountering in your research the the 23rd Ohio's habit of not taking Confederate prisoners. Uh, Did you encounter examples where they're actually murdering prisoners, people they've taken? Hayes alludes to it, and in um, some of the correspondence with the soldiers and even um, Hugh Ewing's correspondence, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's... The hills don't talk, you know, no mm-hmm. one hears the screams. So there's there's references that, yeah, things are happening. So, they, so they don't practice catch and release. It's, it's a fascinating uh, look. I, the book in general has a tone of, of uh, anti-romantic view of the Civil War. One doesn't come away from this. Uh, uh, thinking of magnolia and moonlight and, and swords gleaming, uh, it, it's a it's a brutal war, and and that brings us to Tom Jr. out on the uh, the Kansas front uh, and then Missouri. Uh, talk about his experiences a little bit. Well, before the war, Tom had headed out to Bleeding Kansas to build a business empire in Leavenworth just like his father had built a business empire in Lancaster, Ohio. And then um, he encountered uh, Senator, future Senator Jim Lane. Uh, Lane was a radical abolitionist. Tom Jr. is much more cautious. He's anti-slavery. He does not want slavery coming to Kansas. And during um, all this, Tom Ewing Jr. ends up successfully defending Jim Lane from a murder charge. And later he kind of regretted that one um so you have that prelude and then the war comes and tom ewing jr ultimately enlisted um but basically his regiment is the the outlier all the kansas regiments at least the beginning of the war are pretty much under senator jim lane's control and they're the red legs they're the um they're the, the, the ones who don't discriminate between combatants and non-combatants, and they're looters. They, they are vicious, just as vicious as Bloody Bill Anderson, William Quantrill, and the uh, Confederate guerrillas. And, and Tom Jr. ends up caught between these red legs on the, sort of the Republican side and the guerrillas on, quote, the Democratic or Confederate side, and he's trying to navigate between the two factions. So it, it's uh, a, not a, a particularly ugly war there. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, General Orders Number 11 that will depopulate part of Missouri to remove the uh, Confederate sympathizers who are uh, uh, can be identified with the pre-war Democratic Party in the area. It, it's not a, a pretty scene. We'll take another short break, come back, talk more with our guest, Ken Heinemann, author of Civil War Dynasty, the Ewing Family of Ohio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us 
surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Kenneth J. Heinemann, author of Civil War Dynasty, The Ewing Family of Ohio. We've been talking about Tom Sr., the patriarch, the uh, politician, senator, cabinet member, and the uh, sons, uh, Tom Jr., Charlie, uh, Hugh, all become, by the end of the war, all become generals in the Union Army. Uh, Daughter Ellen marries William Tecumseh Sherman, you've heard of him, and uh, uh, so on, just a remarkable uh, family, well-connected, present at, at many of the major events of the Civil War. Uh, can the uh, it, it didn't look that way for the, the youngest, for, for Charlie. It looked like he might spend the war in a backwater at first. Uh, yeah, it's running, yeah, it guarded a POW camp. Yeah, it, it wasn't looking that good in the 13th U.S. Infantry, and uh, that's where Sherman originally got his command, and then he moved on, and then Charlie was left behind, and uh, basically... His sister, Ellen, and the whole family got him transferred to serve at Vicksburg under Sherman. And Hugh, got, Hugh Ewing got his transfer out of Western Virginia, and he took the 30th Ohio with him to go to Vicksburg. So there's a family reunion. Uh, Charlie was rather a difficult one um, to try to characterize. Um, he didn't write. Uh, this family writes letters. They gossip. They uh, they're, they're wonderful. They and and Hugh Ewing became a novelist after the war, so he had an eye for detail. Charlie didn't write. He he was uh, as we say too busy living in the moment, and so his letters were few and far between. But fortunately, he was apparently such a character that other people just always had stories about him. So, uh, well, one of those stories uh, you talk about uh, the service at Vicksburg. He ends up uh, behaving in ways that are extraordinary, even by Civil War officer standards. Oh yes, leading the charge, picking up the fallen uh, standard, the flag, going over the parapet. Um, you know, losing a finger. You know, shot off, holding the staff. Um, Leading a skirmish, a, a nighttime skirmish, taking a Confederate battery and surviving, just having the presence of mind to know when to uh, fall to the ground to let the grape shot flow over them. He, he is heroic. He, 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 he's a, a kid. He's in his 20s and he is full of adventure and he's not particularly reflective on, you know, things like mortality. You know, he, he, that's not something he's thinking about. Ellen is con- Ellen, his sister, Ellen mm-hmm. Ewing Sherman, is constantly thinking about death, and she did lose two children during the Civil War. So she's, but not Charlie. Yeah, he uh, he's the one who, when uh, they entered Milledgeville, uh, upon, you know, at the commencement of the uh, march through Georgia, going to the old state capitol, he's the one that found the hidden liquor stocks at the legislature and the tobacco uh, and was handing that. it out. 
And, you know, and of course, this is all the guys who are hanging out. Sherman had a brilliant staff, and I, I don't think that gets appreciated enough. Uh, a few do. I think Lee Kennett does for Sharon Gallagher. But mm-hmm. Sherman's got a logistics, you know, dream team there, including Charlie Ewing, who apparently has a mind for mathematics and getting things done, logic. I mean, a lot of ways he's like his father. You know, and now, you after mentioned, the war. Yeah, yeah sorry. Well, you, you, you mentioned Ellen Sherman. I want to go back just a bit to talk about the women of the Ewing family. Uh, Ellen, of course, worried about uh, her husband and brothers. and uh, But their mother was, was uh, a Spartan, one could say, in her, yeah. her determination to put uh, duty and country ahead of uh, risking her sons. Yeah, I... Um you know, as I read her letters and what Ellen was writing, um, Maria Boyle Ewing was the stereotypical daughter of Ireland, um, you know, who had survived so many, um, the ancestors who had survived so many struggles came to America to rebuild, and she is, um, she is grateful. She is dedicated to the idea of America, and she is fiercely committed to her family, and you know, I've got to say, when I was reading her correspondence, you know, I'm a 20th century historian, and I'm reading her, what she's saying, and it's like, oh, my God, it's Rosemary Kennedy mm. telling her, Jack and Joe, when they went off to war, you know, serve your country to those who have been given so much, so much is therefore expected. Yeah, she, yeah. she would rather see them fight and die than, than disgrace uh, their, their family or their, their country. Yeah, and you know, and this is the, the Boyles, the, the Ewings, the Gillespies, the Blaines, the, that whole Irish Catholic, Scots-Irish, they are warriors uh, so, through and through. And, 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 the, and they literally fight. Uh, we were talking about Charlie you know, under fire. Uh, you describe a, a skirmish that Sherman... Uh, uh, gets in the, the in, in ambush uh, practically on the way to Chattanooga in 1863, uh, where they uh, end up oh, fighting. Yeah. yeah, just a remarkable little story. Um, what about uh, uh, Sherman's relations? Uh, they, they called him Cump. Uh, uh, talk a little bit more about Sherman's relationship to this family. Well, he's the outsider, and you see, Thomas Ewing was the self-made man, and when he's, he's the first graduate of Ohio University, and the chair of the Board of Trustees was Judge Charles Sherman. And it's Charles Sherman who says, come up to Lancaster, read law, and so Charles Sherman set Ewing up for his path. And then mm-hmm. Charles Ewing became, you know, uh, elevated the Ohio Supreme Court, but basically made a lot of bad financial deals and died, and he left a very large family destitute. And basically, um, Sherman's mother had to farm the kids out. She did keep John Sherman around until he became such a juvenile delinquent, she gave up on him. That's future Senator John Sherman. (laughs) He's a juvenile delinquent and a rowdy drunk hitting the bars in downtown Lancaster. And Sherman, you know, William T. Sherman ends up um, being taken in by the Ewing family. And um, the, the Ewing Mansion at the top of Main Hill is, at any given time, there's probably 30 children running around screaming, playing war. And uh, Maria Boyle Ewing keeps law and order. And she really became Sherman's second mother. So he's so, grateful, but he's kind of outsider, too. And so the end, he ends up serving uh, in command of, of you know, his, his uh, brother, uh, sort of brother Hugh, as, as a, a brigade commander eventually, uh, Charlie and others. Uh, the We don't have time to go in detail into the post-war era as we come to the last few minutes. Uh, you mentioned uh, up front, and let's just read more about it, uh, the, the defense of uh, Dr. Mudd, Samuel Mudd, in the conspiracy trial after the assassination of Lincoln, that Tom Jr. plays a role there. Uh, but I want to ask you about uh, uh, the Ewings today. That, that does uh, You started out the show talking about how everything in Lancaster is about Sherman. Uh, are, the, are the Ewings remembered? Uh, and if so, how are they remembered? Well, not so much. 
Um, you know, I, I only half jokingly say that the last thing you want on your resume is you help put Andrew Johnson in the White House. True. You know, yeah, that's part of it. Um, they, um, Tom Ewing Jr. worked against the Freedmen's Bureau, um, worked against a lot of the reconstruction policies. So there's that. And then the town, that part of southern Ohio was always strongly anti-war and pro-southern Democrat. So basically, you know, as I conclude, it, when you go through the, the graveyards around Lancaster, mm-hmm. there are all those Grand Army of the Republic um, tomb markers, you know, uh, around JR. They're, they're mm-hmm. down in the ground. The tombstones are broken. I mean, it's just they're forgotten. It, 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 and it took over, a, what, 130 years for Sherman to get a statue in downtown Lancaster. Well, the the I also said earlier this book is anti-romantic in tone, and your discussions of Ohio politics of uh, Cox and others, uh, Samuel Cox and others who, who you know, Vallandigham, uh, Pendleton people names yeah. some people will recognize, who are so virulently anti-war and so virulently racist, uh, openly racist in a way that that we you can't imagine today. Politicians use language, uh, you know, coded language, there were no codes. Uh, the, no, the no, and freely, I don't sugarcoat it. Yeah. No, it, it's it's laid out there. And the Ewings are in this environment where they support uh, Lincoln and the war, but they're not immune to the racism of the world in which they, they grew up. Uh, and, and today, they, it, it, as you say, they're, they're, they're just not well remembered. It's a shame, but I, I think the way the children got burned politically after the mm-hmm. Civil War, they, they withdrew from politics. Um, I had a chance to, um, when I gave a talk at the uh, Sherman House Museum a few years ago, uh, a number of Ewing relatives showed up, and, and they were a fascinating bunch. You know, it's like looking at a 150-year-old, like today photograph, I mean, you could see the family resemblance. Wow. And, uh one of the Ewings told me uh, he was a paleontologist, and he said, I know, that, that seems like that's a long way off from what, you know, the, the great-great-grandfather did. And I said, well, I don't know. The, uh, Lincoln used to refer to Thomas Ewing as an old fossil, so it worked. <laughs> so the circle comes around. Well, listen, it yeah. has been a pleasure talking to you about this book. It's an entertaining and enlightening book about a fascinating family. Uh, and listeners, you will enjoy reading Civil War Dynasty, the Ewing Family of Ohio. Ken, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you. And if I could say one more thing really quickly and sure. all sincerity. Um, this was out of my field, and I really benefited from the other people who have worked on this before, including your book, All for the Regiment. It really helped me focus on the importance of these Civil War regiments and as an organizing principle and as a research tool. So for all well, of you th- folks who do this stuff, thank you. And well, thank you. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.